following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Uh, we're, we're preaching this morning on uh, Leviticus 11 through 15, which is some fascinating passages about skin disease and mold on the wall and bodily discharges. So we're excited about this. And, um, but I know I, I know I'm standing here well prayed for. And the reason I know that is that yesterday when I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to stand up to do this this morning, uh, Denise um, emailed the elders to ask them to pray. And with the threat, you know, if Tim can't preach tomorrow, you're going to have to preach on skin diseases. So right hand, I use well, right, I'm praying. I'm praying. <laughs> they were praying. And they were all glad to see me this morning, <coughs> I think. Um, so let's, uh, we're not going to read all four or five chapters, uh, as fascinating as that would be. Uh, but I want to highlight just a couple of verses to read, actually starting in verse 10, uh, to put <coughs> kind of the context or the scope of these verses in perspective. So if we could read... Um, chapter 10, verses 10 through 11, and then we're going to read some out of chapter 11 and some out of chapter 15 uh, that that really kind of give a little bit of focus of what this is about. Uh, Leviticus 10, uh, uh, he says, You are to distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean. And you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. Uh, Leviticus 11. Every swarming thing that swarms on the ground is detestable. It shall not be eaten. Whatever goes on its belly and whatever goes on all fours, whatever has many feet, any swarming thing that swarms on the ground, you shall not eat, for they are detestable. You shall not make yourselves detestable with any swarming thing that swarms And you shall not defile yourselves with them and become unclean through them. For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. You shall not defile yourselves with any swarming thing that crawls on the ground. For I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. And then finally in Leviticus 15.31, he says, Thus you shall keep the people of Israel separate from their uncleanness, lest they die in their uncleanness by defiling my tabernacle that is in their midst. All right, we're going to unpack this, and it's going to be really a survey. We're not going to go through all these. As fascinating as it would be to go through all of these uh, regulations. Did you know that there's 21 different kinds of skin disease listed here? And it would be fascinating to go through them one by one, uh, but we're not. Uh, So before we we jump into it, um, how many of you ever had the chance to either purchase or at least write in a brand new car? Anybody? If you haven't, you really need, it's dangerous. I I know from experience, you really need to go to like a new car showroom and just get in a new car. Because it's just the coolest thing ever. And uh, they're, they're clean. I mean, they're not just like clean like like somebody's cleaned it. They're like clean like they've never been dirty, right? Just immaculate, spotless, not a speck of dust anywhere. And, and everything works. And they've got all these cool gadgets, you know, the latest gadgets and latest technology. 
And uh, even it's got this, you know, the new car smell. It's just got this smell. And it really is a picture of perfection. A new car, everything about it is just in good order. And uh, probably most of us don't drive new cars all the time. Uh, chances are. Uh, and I remember uh, my very first, I did buy one new car in my life. And uh, the reason I bought it was because I had this old car that was like literally falling apart. And we had gone into a, a car dealer to buy a used car because, I mean, who would buy a new car? They're too expensive, right? And so we knew what kind of car we went. And so we, went, we wanted a Subaru. So we went to the Subaru dealer to get a used Subaru to see what they had. And he, says, he said, well, sorry, we're, we're all fresh out of used ones. But why don't you check out this new one? It's almost used because it's like a year old. But it's the, it's the last one of this model. And so you should just look at it. And he says, you don't have to buy it, but just look at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was young and stupid, and I didn't know how dangerous it was to sit in that new car. Because I sat in that new car, and we drove away with it. They couldn't pry my wheel, my hands off the steering wheel, right? There's something about a new car, right? Uh, but what happens is it doesn't stay that way for very long, does it? Very quickly, it gets dirty, and, uh, and, and it's not that you can't clean it. You know, we wash it, but there's dirt that gets in, you know, all those cracks and crevices, the thing between the seat, you know, and the gear shift way down, that just you can never get clean again. It'll never be clean again, right? And uh, pretty soon it gets scratched and gets dirty and the, the upholstery gets stained. I remember this, this is my brand new Subaru. We'd, we had not had it very long at all. And I got home one day and I noticed that some, some juvenile delinquent had shot it with a BB gun. And just dinged this little, this little, it's like, oh, my brand new car. It's not brand new anymore. It's no longer perfect, right? Well, um, over time, uh, that new car will move further and further and further away from perfect, right? From, from spotless and immaculate. And even that, that little BB gun hole, I just thought, my car's ruined. It's just ruined, right? It's no longer immaculate and spotless. Well, um, if you think about how it was when God created the world, when he created us, when he created the universe, I mean, on the first day of its creation, it was new, and it was perfect. Right? It was immaculate, spotless. Uh, it was pristine and flawless in every way. And, of course, uh, the problem with the universe was not that it got dirty because it got dusty. It was actually made of dirt, Right. But the problem is that sin entered through Adam and Eve, and sin corrupted it. It ruined it. And so from that day onward, sin has had a contaminating effect all over everything that God created. All of creation, we know, was cursed, uh, was damaged, was affected, was ruined because of the fall. And uh, we probably don't really see it and can't really appreciate it because we didn't see it's newness, it's perfection as it was when God first created it. Uh, we grew up in it looking flawed and, and fallen and sinful, so we don't really appreciate all that was lost. But God knows, and God looks and in, in his uh, cherished creation that he, he made has been ruined because of sin. Um, now, of course, we, we can drive our old car. We may not like it, but probably most of us don't have a choice to upgrade every, every month right, with a new car. We, 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 we can drive an old car, uh, and it's not that big of a deal. But it doesn't work that way with God's creation. 
right? The dirt of our car is nothing like the, the damaging and ruining of effects of sin and what it's done to, to wreck and destroy uh, God's creation. He is a holy God, uh, and he, he himself is flawless. Uh, he himself is always new. But there's nothing that ever wears God out. There's nothing that ever marks or mars him. Uh, there's nothing that ever stains his clothes or makes him contaminated. Right? He is a holy God. Uh, in no way is he ever uh, broken or out of order. And in that sense, we talk about God being perfect or holy. And as I read these verses, this, this section is a lot about holiness. And I titled this message, Grasping Holiness. Um, and oftentimes we tend to think of, of holiness in terms of, of um, or unholiness, really, in the effects of sin. And certainly sin causes things to be unholy. Uh, we know that. But um, these laws and these regulations really highlight a different part of holiness, and that is this idea of perfection. And not so much in the sense of moral perfection, that you know it's sinless without the contaminating fix of effects of our sin and rebellion but uh, holiness also has the idea of the perfection of of a new car right uh, the sense of it's perfect everything's right everything works everything is in good order and the problem is that sin not only brought moral damage sin was a rebellion against God it was an attack on him where we are morally fallen but the effects of sin is also that it's made his creation no longer perfect no longer right, no longer ordered correctly. Um, and for God, that's, uh, that's just not acceptable. And it's not that God is, is um, like, like OCDC and like, you know, it just bugs him. Uh, it's that he is worthy of something much better. Right? If we could use the same illustration, if a dignitary were to come visit your country, and you wanted to give him what was worth. This person's visiting and he's a high official, maybe the president of another country or a king. And you want, to, you want to respect him by giving him the very best. You wouldn't want to ask to borrow my truck to take him, right, for many reasons. Right? You'd get a new limousine that's worth the dignity of that person. Well, that's how it is with God. God is worthy of the very best. Not because he's nitpicky. But because he's, he's God, right? He's supreme and he's worthy of the very best. Uh, but of course, this world is creation and specifically us as human beings are fallen and we bear the damage of sin, not only morally in that it's, uh, it's, it's, it's our sin because we have rebelled against him, but it's broken us. We, we are in some extent ruined and we're no longer whole. So we come to Leviticus 15, which tries to capture this idea of perfection. And again, not the moral side, but the more right or ordered side of it. And we read through these verses and, um, regarding uh, the clean and the unclean. And all of these, uh, everything in these ver- verses from chapter 11 to 15 describe this idea of clean and unclean. Clean and unclean animals that they could eat or not eat. Um, uh, and, and numerous activities... Or, or things you could come in contact that would make you unclean. Things like, for example, anything dead was considered unclean. So even if a bug falls dead in your soup, don't eat it. Like you need to be told that, right? Um, but even if it falls in your dish that's empty, you might have to actually break the dish because it now makes it unclean. Uh, giving birth was considered unclean. 
and we'll talk about that in a minute, skin diseases uh, and uh, what they would call skin diseases of the house, the things that would affect your wall or fabric, right? Um, bodily discharges, uh, mostly related to sex- sexual reproduction and sexual organs are all considered unclean. Um, and we, we look at that list and it's just kind of mind-boggling for us and we read through all these regulations and it just seems weird. Like, I just read through them all several times studying for this and I, honestly, a lot of it just seems weird. And kind of, what do we do with this? And, and here's one of the problems. Um, a lot of these things um, aren't really, aren't, aren't, aren't all sin. In fact, really none of them are sinful, right? Uh, a pig, just by being a pig, is not sinful. But it's unclean, right? Um, and, and so we, we, see, we see kind of some confusion here because we tend to think of things that disqualify us from God's presence being sinful, like lying or cheating or murder or um, something I do that's evil. But, uh, for example, childbirth now disqualifies me in some way from entering into God's presence. Uh, and, of course, having a baby, or for that matter, making a baby, is not in itself sinful. So how can it make one unclean, right? Uh, to contract a skin disease or a sin, uh, you know, mold growing on your wall, uh, it's like, is, 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 is a rash sin? Well, no, it's not, right? So it's, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around this. How can, it's not, if it's not a sin, why is it bad? Why does it make me unclean? Um, well, when we categorize all these things together, what we see is that all these things are, in a sense, moving away from holiness, moving away from perfection. Um, and we'll talk about how that works in a minute. Um, but it has the idea that, that holiness is kind of like a new car, right? And when we do anything that scratches the paint or tracks mud on the carpet, it's no longer worthy of the king. And so we need to do something about it. We need to clean it. And it's hard for us to comprehend some of these categories. Like, for example, I don't know why a cow is clean, but a camel isn't. To me, they're kind of the same, you know. And I don't know why. And and when we try to uh, um, figure out the logic behind some of these, we may not come up with a good answer. And I've read a bunch of commentaries, and none of them could come up with good answers that explain why pigs and not, you know, not why, why pork is bad and why chicken's good. Um, but in general, just think of it this way, that it's moving away from what's whole or rightly ordered or perfect, right? And we might not be able to explain all the reasons, but it's also not arbitrary, right? We know that these things that were clean represented what was whole and perfect, and the things that were unclean is the things that were moving away. So kind of keep that framework as we go through some of these things. Uh, so, for example, let's take uh, having a baby. Of course, having a baby was not sinful. And having a baby in itself did not make you unclean. But uh, there's a whole chapter on uh, after a woman has a baby, uh, the blood that, that's a, a byproduct and a result of having a baby makes her unclean. Uh, and again, it's not sinful. Okay, she's not morally bankrupt because she had a baby, uh, but she's unclean. And the idea here is that, that blood is not a normal part of everyday life. And while, while having a baby is natural and is, 
It is a part of natural life, and it's a good thing. And, and God commands it. He blesses it. That child is a gift from God. And that, that baby is perfect. And I can't speak from, per, from personal experience, but I think any woman here who's had a baby would tell you the after effects of all that are not perfect, right? In fact, actually, maybe the, the, the before and after parts of it are not perfect, right? It's painful, and it's not normal, right? And the, the, all the things that the body has to go through to heal and recover is not a picture of perfection, right? And it has to be, there's some restoring that has to go on and some time it takes to heal and get back to normal, get back to whole, get back to um, uh, a state of perfection, right? So that kind of pictures what this is about. Um, it's even more evident with skin diseases. And, and uh, it names all these skin diseases, 21 of them. Probably none of them are actually what we would call leprosy. And even though it translated leprosy in many Bibles, uh, the modern form of leprosy that we know today that's so horrific uh, didn't actually come about until about 500 A.D., so probably they didn't have to deal with that. But it, it describes many different kinds of skin rashes, many of them chronic or contagious. Um, and we kind of can visualize that that's moving away from perfection. Right? It's something broken, something not normal or healthy. And so it's a problem. Um, so uh, there's some problems with this, though. And one of the problems is that there's a lot of conditions that we would consider to be not whole or wholesome or perfect that actually don't cause you to be unclean. So, for example, being blind or deaf or crippled uh, do not make you unclean. And what's at stake here? It's like, well, what's the big deal? So I'm unclean or not or unclean. What's at stake here? What this is about is disqualifying a person from worship. Right? So if you're unclean, you can't go to the temple and worship God. And in some cases, if the uncleanness was severe enough, as in the case of skin diseases, you're actually not even fit to be in the community of, of the people. You had to live outside the community uh, alone, separated from everybody else. Right? So what we're talking about here is being in a condition that makes you uh, appropriate or clean or whole to come into God's presence and worship him. So if we were still practicing this, um, any number of things could have kept you from church this morning, right? And I won't go into all of them because some of them are kind of embarrassing for me to talk about, all the sexual ones. I just, I just can't, you, I can't wrap my, words or my mouth around those words. But just imagine, like if you've read this, right? I can't go to church this morning, <laughs> right? Now some of this might be like a good convenient excuse. Oh, I'm unclean, right? But that's what this is about, right? It disqualified you. But why uh, bodily discharge has disqualified you but not being blind, right? It's, it seems a bit confusing, right? So, so what's this really all about? Well, I think um, to help us grasp it, what God is doing is here is he wants the people to understand fully what his holiness is about. And his holiness was in part about sinless perfection, Right, dealing with sin. And so all the sacrifices that we just looked at that talk about forgiveness and atonement, look at what's required to remove sin from our life and the effects of sin when we rebel against God, when we lie and cheat and steal and all the things that it talks about that dishonor God through our, our rebellious conscious choice of doing something wrong. Um, but holiness is more than that. 
Okay, God is a holy God. He deserves a new car. And this is this picture that when we come into his presence, we need to be not only morally clean, but we also need to be in a certain state of wholeness. We need to represent perfection. Of course, that's a problem for any of us, because who here is really perfect? I mean, not just sinlessly, but like perfect. Uh, maybe when you came into the world, when you were new, you were like a new car. Maybe, you know, when you were that pristine little baby, maybe you were perfect. But it kind of goes downhill from there, right? And, uh, you know, I was reminded of this all day yesterday when I couldn't even stand up. There's lots of things about me that are getting more and more broken all the time. Thankfully, one of the things not listed as making you unclean was a bald head. <laughs> so I'm off. I'm okay on that one, right? But uh, there's a lot of things about our life that are broken, that are less than perfect, that are less than new car. Right? Um, and if God, if God described everything that made us not new car, not perfect, nobody could come into his presence. So what God did is God gave them, in essence, a, a visual image, an object lesson in, in these, these, these regulations to show them, to give them a picture of, uh, of their need for rest- restoration, their need for cleanness, their need to come before God perfect. Right? Not that they would ever achieve that, but it gave them uh, an image of what this could look like. And it was a, an image that portrayed something much deeper and more significant than just, well, I have a rash. Right? It pictured something much more significant and deeper. But it was a way for them to wrap their minds around this idea of coming before and into God's presence in a state of perfection. That God is worthy of of the perfect, of the best. And so these these regulations um, are chosen because they have have, um, visual value, right? And it's interesting that most of these conjure up certain images. and, and for most of us, we can't always know what they Im- imaged or pictured, but many of the images still hold true today. Um, um, skin diseases, they're, they're visible. And you see somebody who's got some infectious, contagious kind of skin disease going on them, you, you kind of want to stay, you want to you keep a distance, right? Um, even in our day, blood is, is kind of considered to be something you have to handle carefully. And we want to sterilize something that's been bled all over. Right? Those are visual pictures of something that makes you less than whole, less than perfect. Uh, pigs, even in our day, are not known for a reputation of being overly cleanly. Uh, cleanly? Is that a word? Clean. Right? Overly clean. Right? We picture them in the mud and smelling bad. Right? These are all visual things that help them see that sometimes uh, we come in contact with things that are not right. Um, Living in Thailand, I didn't know mold could grow on walls or could grow in a lot of places until I moved to Thailand. And as it turns out, mold can grow like on anything, right? And we don't really think of mold as being clean, right? It's something wrong. It's a disorder. And so they had rules and regulations about mold and fungus and uh, things that visually seem off and not right, right? Uh, so these, all these regulations uh, became daily reminders that we live in a world that is no longer a new car, right? No longer is, is a world that is marred and ruined and wrecked by sin, but also by sin's effects and consequences. And the effects of sin is that the world came under a curse and everything about it is broken. We are broken. 
and in order to come into the presence of a holy God who is perfect, we need fixing. We need restoring. We need wholeness. And that picture of wholeness, that idea of wholeness is pictured in this concept of cleanness, being clean. Right? So when they were contaminated, when they were dirty, they had to go through a process of being cleansed. And that could mean anything from taking a bath to actually offering every possible sacrifice that you could offer. Like in the case of leprosy, it took everything. You had to, you had to come with the whole, the whole thing. Washing, cleansing, sprinkled with blood, sprinkled with oil, and offering every possible blood sacrifice. Uh, it was a deep stain. Right? Um, so for the Israelites, what this meant is these became daily life examples and reminders of the perfection of God and how we fall short of it. Right? Uh, not only because of sin, but just because we live in a broken, fallen world that is dying. And you remember Adam and Eve in the garden when God gave, put them in the garden. He said, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you do, what will happen? You will die. And death is the ultimate state of imperfection and brokenness. And we live in a world where everything is moving towards death and decay. Right? Um, so so uh, let me just tie this together and again it's hard five chapters without going through a lot of detail but let me just look at a couple ways that, uh, that these laws uh, what it meant to the Israelites but more importantly praise God and we should celebrate this praise God we don't, we don't, we don't as Christians follow these anymore so bring on the bacon hallelujah Right? We can eat pork. We can eat anything. Right? We can even eat lizards if you want. Okay? Wouldn't recommend it, but it's, it's, it's out there. Right? Uh, we don't have to worry about if I came in contact with something dead on the, on the way to church. You know, there's a dead bug on the dashboard and I brushed it off. And I go, oh no, I can't go to church now because I touched a dead bug. Right? We, don't, we don't follow these. But, but why don't we follow them? Okay? I want to look at, at what it means, and there are principles behind this where, where we, don't, we don't keep the traditions. There are a couple important principles that are meaningful for us, and, and we'll see how Jesus fulfills them completely. Um, first, the dietary laws. Chapter 11 gives all these dietary laws, and we won't read them, but there were certain foods they could eat and certain that they couldn't. What was the point of it all? Well, the point of it ultimately was that the people of Israel were to be set apart as holy. And we read that. He says, you, you're be holy. And he talks about the swarming things. Swarming things could be anything, anything from rats to snakes to bugs. They weren't supposed to eat them. And the reason is that God says, I, I have called you and set you apart as holy. Um, and the idea there, again, is not moral perfection, but it means to be set apart as unique, as unique and distinct and different. As a nation, they were to be set apart as different. And one of the ways that marked them different, it was their diet. They didn't eat like everybody else. Now, God could have done that any number of ways, but he chose certain foods and he chose that they could eat and other ones he couldn't. At some extent, maybe it was arbitrary. But the point is that their diet marked them. Uh, and it's true to this day. Jewish people to this day are known for their kosher diet. And you can go to the grocery store and you can still buy kosher food. Uh, much like Muslims are, are marked by their diet of halal food. Right? It set them apart. It made them distinct. It marked them that they weren't to be like all the other nations. There was to be some, something visibly different about them. 
And when you would look at them and you would sit down and you would see that, well, one thing different is they eat different food than we do. And in fact, as history went on, the, the Jews became very particular about this. And in time, they wouldn't even eat with Gentiles. They wouldn't even go into their house because of the risk of becoming unclean and disqualifying them from worship. Uh, but in the New Testament, Jesus uh, cancels it all out. Um, and and um, he really gets to the heart of the matter and, and the principle behind this. And he says in Matthew fifteen ten through 20, Jesus called the people to him and he said to them, Hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person. So the real problem is not really food. That's just a picture. It's just an illustration. But it illustrates a deeper point. He says, it is what comes out of the mouth that defiles the person. Uh, The disciples were worried. They came to him and said, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? Because for them, it was all about that food, that being distinct by their diet. And Jesus answered, every plant that uh, my heavenly father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. And he said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat, to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. That was a picture to talk about the, the stuff in our heart that can defile us. Right? And it was to remind them that what really it was about was the things in their heart. And it is out of the heart that our, our speech, our, our communication pours forth. So have any of you ever said anything that you just really regretted and you couldn't believe you said it? Like something really mean or hateful. Well, you know, it's like, where did that come from? Well, Jesus says it comes from your heart, right? That in our heart, we harbor these evil thoughts and these angry attitudes and these hateful feelings towards people. And so when we lose our control for a second, it slips out, right? Why? Because inside we are broken. We're broken. And we need forgiveness, but we also need restoring. Uh, and Jesus came to restore, right? How can we... And for the Jews, cleansing outwardly was easy. They could wash and they could go through these ceremonies. But what do you do when the problem is your heart? Right? How are you going to clean your heart? Well, praise God, Jesus came to fix us. Right? He came through his blood to give us, not only just to wash our heart, but to give us a new heart that's whole, that's perfect, that is like new. We'll see that scripture in a minute. Um... Another thing we see uh, with the food restrictions, uh, both with Peter and Paul, made it clear that we we no longer had to follow these food restrictions. And the reason is that um, God's grace now is not going out to one distinct people group, the Jews. But now his grace is available to all of us, right? Jew and Gentile alike. And the great uh, illustration comes from Acts chapter 10, where Peter is up on the roof praying one day. And he's praying, and God's about to, to ambush Peter. Because Peter's still thinking that 
The way of salvation is through the Jews, that the Jews are a holy people and distinct. And Peter, for one, we know, was very meticulous about what he ate. He kept this dietary law to the T, right? But one day he's on his roof and he's praying and he falls asleep and God gives him a dream. And it says that uh, uh, he became hungry and wanted something to eat, but while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and he saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. And in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him and said, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Okay, now this is, this is like terrifying for a Jew, right? Like think about the thing like you would, just, like for me the thing I would not want to eat, which I get offered this all the time in Esau is bugs. Like these big nasty beetles and like, like, you know, I can do the silkworms are okay, but like the ones with legs, like I just don't want the legs getting stuck in my teeth. And somebody told me the other day, oh, you got to take the legs off. Well, I didn't know that, right? Ugh, so it's like, yeah, something about bugs. It's just like, so it's like, this is like God saying to, to Peter, eat bugs. It's good, right? Well, this just kind of unravels him. It's like, no, no. So I've never let anything unclean into, into my mouth, right? I've never eaten any of this stuff. And on the sheet, apparently, was all the unclean animals, reptiles and snakes and vultures and pigs, right? Big, big plate of bacon. Freaks him out, right? But notice what, what, Peter, what, what God says to him. God says, uh, what God has made clean, do not call common or unclean. And this happened three times. But was this really about food? Well, partly it was about food because no longer was the distinction there that would mark Israel apart. God's people now were going to be God's children anywhere, everywhere, and they weren't going to be set apart by diet. But it really wasn't about food, right? Uh, A guy comes along, Cornelius, and invites Peter to his house, and Peter goes, and uh, when he gets there, he tells him, you know, I don't normally go into the house of Gentiles, I don't normally eat with them. I don't normally associate with them because I don't want to be made unclean. But God gave me a vision. And notice what he says in, in Acts 10.27. He says, as he talked with them, he said, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. Right? Peter was a little slow, but not that slow. And he got, he got the object lesson. When God removed the restrictions on food, he was also removing the division between peoples. And no longer were the Gentiles to be considered unclean. And and so God broke down, it says in Ephesians, the the dividing wall that distinguishes the Jews from all people. And praise God, now we as most of us as non-Jewish people can enter into a relationship with God and, and we're not distinguished by people group. Uh, So does that mean, though, that there's no longer anything that distinguishes us as God's people? Well, absolutely not. And the principle holds true still. We are to be a people who are set apart and distinguished from the world. We are not to look like the world. But the basis is no longer our diet, but our conduct. We are to have a lifestyle that marks us as different. Like... If, if you're a Christian and, and all your friends and all your family who know you well look at you and there's nothing different about your life, there's nothing that sets you apart, something's wrong. 
Right? Something's wrong. Our life should be weird. Right? Some of us are naturally weird, easier than others. Right? Um, it's a gift. Uh, and that's not really what I mean, right? I mean, our life should be unique. It should be distinct from the way the world thinks and lives and operates. So first Peter, Peter puts it this way in First Peter chapter 1, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former life, your former ignorance. Right? But as he who called you is holy, you also should be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, and he quotes the verse we just saw in Leviticus, you shall be holy for I am holy. Now, a lot of Christians are are weird and different and distinct because of external things. And that's really not what he's talking about here. It's not that we have to dress differently or we have to have some kind of bizarre haircut or we get some like cross tattooed on our arm. Not that you can't do that, but, but that's not really what it's about. He says it's your conduct. There should be something about the way we live our life that's just different. And maybe people in the world can't even put their finger on it, but there should be something unique about us. So the principle's still there. We just go about it in a different way. Instead of being distinct by our diet, we are now distinct by our conduct. Uh, Secondly, second whole category, we're going to go through the super fast because we're out of time, but um, there was three big broad categories that were a problem death, blood, and skin disease and all the rest of the rules kind of break down into those things those things could make you unclean by contact or by contracting for example the skin disease um, what's, what's significant in this account with food it was just a matter of choice you either ate it or didn't but if you touched a camel it didn't make you unclean only if you ate the camel um, unless it was dead. Okay? Even clean things, if they were dead, would make you unclean by contact. Uh, but these things were things that would, would make you unclean if you had them. Uh, and the consequence was that it cut you off from worship. And in many cases, it cut you off from the community. And so when a woman uh, had her menstrual cycle or had, a, had given birth and was bleeding, she could not be in contact with other people for that whole time because she would spread that uncleanness to others. Um, What's remarkable is what Jesus does with this, right? Uh, When Jesus comes along and any any Jew would be very sensitive to this sort of thing, right? Like Peter was. Like, you would not touch something dead ever. You would, and if you did, you'd have to go through this whole thing of cleansing and washing. But what does Jesus do when he comes near the dead? He touches them. He walks up and he touches them. And and what happens when he touches them? They get fixed, right? They come back to life. Uh, Jairus' daughter, Tabitha, he goes and he, he touches her and he pulls her up by the hand and she is fixed. She is restored to wholeness and that state of, of new car perfection, right? Uh, the leper comes. In, in Mark 1, a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling and said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Right? The lepers were the most outcast. They had to walk around with their hand over their mouth, yelling, unclean, unclean. And if you saw a leopard, you would steer way far around them. 
right? Or they would have to go way far away from you. They were to be kept at a great distance. And they were to wear their hair tangled and they were to wear torn and tattered clothes. And it was a symbol of grieving. And they were what, what the Jews would consider walking death. Right? They were people who were so moved towards death that they were mostly there. Right? Now sadly, these people could live for a very long time and oftentimes the disease wasn't fatal. It didn't matter. You were characterized as dead and unclean and you did not get anywhere near them. And you lived in incredible isolation, cut off from family, cut off from friends, cut off from the community, living alone. But what does Jesus do when this man comes up to him and takes huge risks to even come close to him? Because Jesus could have said, get away from me. What does Jesus do? He touches him, right? He touches him. And he says, be clean. And the man is instantly healed. He's restored to a state of perfection, of wholeness, of new carness, right? And, and see, that's what Jesus does. In, in the old law, it could make you unclean, but there was no way for it to be, be fixed. If you were healed, you could be cleansed, but there was no way to be, resto- no way to be restored to a state of perfection. But the good news is of, of Jesus is this. Not only does he pay for our sins, but ultimately Jesus restores us to be a new car, right? to new car perfection. Um, he doesn't just wash away our, our sin, but he fixes all of our brokenness. And that's what all this in the Old Testament was a picture of, that we needed restoration. We needed to be made new. We needed fixing not only from our sin, but from all of its consequences that left us broken. So Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new car. (laughs) He's a new creation. He's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new is come. And that's the amazing thing of the gospel. It's not just about sin, but it's about everything else that's broken about us because of sin. And Jesus' work in our life doesn't just cleanse us, but it makes us new. Uh, now, it's a work in progress, and, and, and uh, you know, I'm feeling the pains of, of being broken. And there's the emotional side of being broken. Right? There, there's things in us, and we all know our brokenness, whether it's physical or emotional, so it's wounds and scars that, um, that we carry around. But in Jesus, there is healing. Right? Uh, some of it comes in this life. It ultimately comes in the new life, right? in the resurrection life. Um, but that is the work of Christ. Um, and he touches us. Right? He is not afraid because he has the power of cleansing, the power of restoring the power of renewing and making us new in Him. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.